Hey, soccer fans, this is Nick for Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. We are back on Monday, September 12th. Yeah, I had to do a quick quick take of my little calendar here on my computer screen because, man, it's been a long day, and it was an even longer weekend for some of these MLS squads. We are going to recap all the action from the last week's bunch of games, and we're going to do it in a little different way. We are going to actually break down the standings and walk down the table of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference because with only three, four, and a couple teams with five games left, it is all about standings and all about the playoff push. In the first half of the show, we're going to look at the Eastern Conference. In the second half of the show, we're going to look at the Western Conference. And if we got any questions, we'll take those in stoppage time from our viewers here on our live YouTube chat. So with that, let's get it kicked off with the intro music. Get pumped. And here we go. <laughs> Hey, soccer fans. Once again, this is Nick for Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central, and we are in playoff preparation mode, just like all of your favorite teams. With apologies to DC United, they're the first team to officially be eliminated. But as I mentioned in the pre-intro, we're going to be running down the tables of the East and Western Conference, and we are going to be looking at the recent results some headlines, as well as the next several games that these teams play as they make their push for the playoffs. And uh, we'll answer a few questions. Like in the Eastern Conference, is Philly going to win the double? Will DC win the wooden spoon? Or in the Western Conference, how worried are we about LAFC and Austin? And will the Cascadia teams actually make the playoffs? Will any of them make the playoffs? We're going to look at all of that. Now, before we do that, got to take care of a little housekeeping here, right? If you like what we do, if you want to support the show, the easiest thing you can do is share the link, spread the word, send a retweet, and, and just share and grow this conversation around MLS and soccer here in the United States. But if you really, really want to support us with a little more than just word of mouth, the first thing you can do, the easiest thing, click, click the ad, or when you're watching the video, let the ad play. That puts a few pennies in our pocket and doesn't cost you a thing. Next, if you really like the conversation, send us a super chat or a super thanks as, as we're going live here. Um, and also, if you really want to support the show, if you really like what you're doing, you can become a sponsor of Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. Uh, you can sponsor our webpage. You can sponsor our social media. You can be a podcast or YouTube sponsor as well. And we'll make sure that your brand or yourself gets the recognition that you need. Thank you, though, to all of our regular subscribers who are monthly members of SOP who just really appreciate the entertainment that we put out. We couldn't keep the show going without all of you. So a few ways to support the show. Please reach out to us at SOP Soccer on Twitter or Sons of a Pitch Soccer at gmail.com if you'd like to talk about some bigger sponsorships. Otherwise, click an ad, let those ads play, send a super chat or super thanks during the shows, and we greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get into the soccer talk while we're all here. Why we're all here, Brother BKL, Red Bull Insider, you guys are already here. We are pumped. We are going to start with the Eastern Conference table and then break down the playoff positioning and chances for all these teams here. Starting with, of course, the Philadelphia Union not just top of the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia Union, not just clinched a playoff spot, Philadelphia Union, but the historically good Philadelphia Union. They have some of the best goals for, goals against, and goal differential in league history. They have 22 goals allowed as of now. The record for least goals allowed is 20, and that was RSL in 2010, and Philly if you count the shortened pandemic season in 2020. The record for most goals in a season is LAFC and the Galaxy in 2019 and 1998. That's 85 goals. Philly is sitting on 68 right now, tied for 10th for goals scored in any single season. And I think goal differential as well is one of the highest. They have a plus 46 goal differential. That is more than most teams have goals scored this season. It's incredible what Philly is doing 
defensively and offensively. Now let's look at their latest win that just keeps padding those stats, right? There are 5-1 winners against Orlando City in their latest result. Now, congrats to Orlando City on winning the U.S. Open Cup and the MLS did did them some favors by, you know, rescheduling things uh, and U.S. soccer as well. But they didn't do many favors with their first game back from U.S. Open Cup. So with tired legs on a short turnaround, they had to go face the best team in MLS right now. And uh, yeah, it showed five to one. Uh, their expected goals, though, for the Union, 2.8. Their possession was 48%. But here's the kicker. They completed 73% of their passes in the attacking third. Philly has possession in dangerous areas. So that's why, even though it's an XG of 2.8, even though the models say they're going to score about three, they can still drop five, six, or seven on you, as we've seen uh, this season, because they get in those dangerous areas. Now, Philly... The way they're playing right now, if they continue this form, they are going to win the double. No team has a chance the way Philly is playing right now. Now, they have been Eastern Conference heavy, um, absolutely. So maybe there's a different matchup if they go against the team in the West or if a lower-seeded team just you know does something crazy and pulls out all the stops against them in the playoffs. But as it stands right now, with their current form, with their points totals, with their wins and goals scored, uh, they'll win the double, and Daniel Gazdag could win the MVP. That is the absolute ceiling. Now, the floor, I, I see them getting to the conference finals at the very least. Let's move on to the second-place team in the Eastern Conference. Oh, excuse me. Before we get off of Philadelphia here, their next three matches are at Atlanta, at Charlotte, and against Toronto. So they, they could end with three straight wins here, depending on what's going on in Atlanta. Now, we know Charlotte is a good home team usually, and TFC, if the Italians are scoring three and four goals, it's, it's going to be tough even for Philly to match. But Philly could still end on three wins and a huge point record. Uh, anyway, let's get back now to the second team in the East, Montreal. Their recent result, a 2-2 draw to the crew. And oh my goodness, the headlines out there were Columbus chokes away another lead because Montreal scored their two goals after the 89th minute, and I think it's the only the 12th time in MLS history, a team has scored two goals after the 89th minute or something ridiculous like that, right? So really good result for Montreal. Their next matchups are against Chicago, at New England, against D.C., and at Miami. So playing teams who are struggling to make the playoffs or who will not make the playoffs – and they could also end the season on a high note with some good momentum going into the postseason. Or they run into a Chicago, New England, and Miami squad who is desperate to make the playoffs and really disrupts how Montreal plays. And if they fall behind early like, the, like they did in the crew game, I doubt they'll be able to keep coming back. That is not championship soccer. Which brings me to the question, are the Montreal, <laughs> Montreal impact, I almost said it, is CF Montreal a cup contender? And I don't think so because they don't play like that because they always have to come back from behind, right? Or at least they're often playing from behind. They don't have anyone to wow you on the ball. Yeah, Mihailovic, Kone have been really, really good for them this season. And as much as I got to stick up for my guy Pandemis in the goal, he is not any sort of world-beating goalkeeper. The defense is questionable. And their they're plus eight goal differential is the worst among the top four teams in either conference. So uh, Montreal does not look like a trophy-winning team at this point. I see them getting bounced in the second round, uh, depending on their favorable first-round matchup. Next up, we have Red Bulls, who are coming off a 2-1 victory against New England, and their next three matches are at New York City, at Columbus, and against Charlotte. So the Red Bulls are pretty well set that they will make the playoffs. Depending on those last few games, especially against uh, New York City, that could damage their seeding. They could fall to the last three in position. However, they are in and they are a nightmare matchup for just about any team out there because of how they play. And if they're getting their legs back and they can be pressing, then they could make a run uh, to the MLS Cup or they could flame out in the first round of the playoffs. That's just kind of how it goes with Red Bulls. And I think it's a little more to the latter if you look at a little bit of the results and kind of their form throughout the season. So I asked the question, is this the year for the Red Bull? 
And I say probably not. Not only are their odds way against them, their best run of form throughout the season was back in April and May when they got six straight results, but only two wins in that. They've never won three games in a row, and in order to win the MLS Cup, they're going to have to win four straight games. So I'm I'm thinking once the Red Bulls have a matchup against another team, either either Philly or perhaps even Montreal, then they may run out of luck. You know, they can't press their way to a championship four straight games in a row. By the way, everyone is saying how great Seattle's playoff streak is at 13 straight seasons, and they've never missed it. Uh, Red Bulls, make when they make the playoffs this year, that'll be 13 straight appearances for them. So let's keep that in perspective of what they're doing. Now, we got a lot of great comments coming in here in the chat. Red Bull Insider says it was an interesting weekend of games. Can't wait to get this started. And Philly are hot right now. Connor, I appreciate the technical update. I think that's just a little bit of my connection. We'll keep rolling through it, man. I like Brother BKL's comment here. He says his mind tells me Philly is going to go after the Supporter Shield a second time, but he doesn't think they can make it to the Cup. It's LAFC. And we're going to talk about LAFC and really what they're focused on, right? Um, Connor Knows Soccer. If you guys want to know more about the Columbus crew, find Connor Knows Soccer on Twitter and on YouTube. He does a lot of content about the crew. And he says, I keep saying it, and I'll say it again. Columbus will run the table this season in the playoffs. Wow, a lot of faith coming from Connor and Columbus crew fans, it seems. And, hey, offense, you know, you like to say defense wins championships, but in the MLS – Offense really helps, that's for sure. And if Cucho and Zillarayan are, are heating up, then they could go toe-to-toe. The only thing is I, I, I just don't see anyone beating Philly right now. We also know teams tend to get a little more conservative in the playoffs, and it is harder to score. They'd rather sit back a little bit rather than go all out in a one-game playoff series. So we'll see if that cuts down on some of the space that Zellerayan and Cucho Hernandez have to operate in because those are the two main offensive guys for Columbus. You'll definitely have to see Santos getting up and more involved if you want to unlock some of these playoff defenses. So great comments so far. Keep them coming, guys. I love it. Now we're looking at the fourth place team in the Eastern Conference as it stands here September 12th. New York City FC coming off a 1-0 loss at Charlotte, who is a better team at home, but not a good team as of late. So this one is not a good result for, for the citizens. Their next three matchups tough outs for them against Red Bulls, against Orlando City, who's going to be trying to clinch a playoff spot, as well as at Atlanta, who even if they aren't in the playoffs, have been wanting to finish strong this season and prove a point. Here's the crazy thing. Since Tati Castellanos has been loaned out and left New York City, and I know we harp on Tati, but really it's a tale of two seasons for New York City after his departure, one win, two draws, six losses. Only nine goals. And we've seen Nick Cushing tweak tactics and formations. So I wonder if the players' heads are in it, if they really like what they're getting from their head coach. They're getting a little bit away from New York City's style. Even though Tati is a huge loss, right? And I'm sure they've had other injuries. But you can't get away from your identity. It, it's We say it when we see expansion teams. We say it when we see new coaches. You need to establish culture in the locker room, and an identity on the field. And if he's starting to tweak that and change that, it doesn't matter how good the talent is, they're going to be confused as to their roles on the pitch, and that's going to be tough for them to overcome. Honestly, even if New York City get to host a home game, first of all, is it even going to be at City Field, given the baseball schedule? I see them as a first-round exit. Now, the bright spot for New York City is they have the Campiones Cup, this Wednesday, September 14th, against Atlas from Liga MX. Now, if you don't know, the Campiones Cup is kind of an exhibition match, but there is a trophy on the line. It is between the defending MLS Cup champion and the champion of champions in Mexico. Uh, the Liga MX, as well as a few other leagues around the world, have a fall season and, and a spring season, and the Clausura and the Apertura. And so the winner of the Clausura and Apertura will play each other to be the champion of champions, and that winner will go on to play the MLS Defending Cup champion in the Campiones Cup. Now this year, Atlas won both the Clausura and the Apertura, so they were obviously the champion of Liga MX. But they've had some poor form lately. NYC's had some poor form lately. Um, we'll see what kind of game that is. But this is a really good chance for New York City to claim a trophy, and 
in one fashion or another. Fifth place team in the Eastern Conference right now, Orlando City, coming off that big 5-1 loss to Philly. Again, not the team you want to see after short rest after a final match. Now, we looked at Orlando City in detail uh, last week. I did a profile on them. Go check out the second half of that show because all season I have been looking at Orlando sitting in that like five or six spot in the playoffs. And I go, how can a team that has terrible offensive performances end up in fifth place this late in the season? And my only answer that I could figure out was it's their schedule. They have had a very favorable schedule because they have been playing either Western Conference teams or when they lose games, they're losing to teams ahead of them in the standing. So it really isn't costing them a lot of uh, a lot of places or seating. But here's why I don't think Orlando City will do anything in the playoffs. Or if they even make the playoffs, they might not make the playoffs. The, of the current playoff teams in either conference, they have the least amount of goals scored at 36. They have the worst goal differential at negative nine. They're the only team currently in a playoff position with a negative goal differential. And if they make the playoffs, they better hope they match up against New York City, who's been a favorable matchup to them over the last couple of years. Otherwise, it is going to be a first round exit for Orlando City this season. Hey, at least they got the U.S. Open Cup. Now, I've been talking about Orlando City's schedule and why it has been favorable to them to this point. I want to pull it up here and show you what their next several games look like as we get into the end of the MLS season. They are at home to Atlanta, at home to Toronto, at New York City, at Miami, and at home to Columbus. So this is not an easy ending to their schedule. And if you look back, you know, they've had... A few results getting hot before the U.S. Open Cup, but then boom, that loss to Seattle kind of derailed. Or Oh, I'm sorry, they beat Seattle. So that's when they got their offense flowing, and then it all falls apart to Philly, and now they have five conference opponents, four, th- uh, yeah, four of them all around them in the playoffs. So that is going to be a really, really tough way to end the season for Orlando. And if they fall on their face, they're only four points above the line right now. It's going to be difficult for them to maintain that position. Next up, Cincinnati with a 6-0 win against San Jose. A Brenner hat trick, a 3.8 expected goals, excellent passing. This might be like the performance of the season for Cincinnati, albeit it is against San Jose, but you still got to beat the teams in front of you. Their next few matchups are at Salt Lake, at Seattle, against Chicago, and against D.C. So they're kind of lucky in the sense that they have two non-conference opponents, so maybe they can rotate the squads to a little bit of an extent there, play for some draws if they need to, to preserve their their team for Chicago and D.C. Uh, but everyone's fighting for playoff spots, RSL and Seattle included. Now for, for Cincy, offense is going to drive this team to any postseason success. And as we see in the playoffs, and as I said, the teams are going to tighten up on defense. So we'll see if they can actually make a run. Um, but here's the other thing where I don't think they are kind of that playoff or trophy contending team. Since the international break in June, four wins, one loss, and 11 draws. 11 draws. They don't lose games, but they're really not going out and showing us how they can win. So that's why I think since he's going to get that first round exit. And then Columbus rounds up the current playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. As we mentioned, a 2-2 come from behind draw to Montreal, or I should say lets the game up at the end there for the draw. Their next matchups are at Miami, against Portland, against Red Bull, and at Charlotte. So no easy finish for Columbus either. Now, offense could be a problem, and as great as Cucho and Zellerian have been, we've only seen Columbus score three goals in a game five times the entire season. So they're going to need to really get clicking and and put a few goals in if they want to secure a playoff spot. Additionally, the crew and the revs, I think are like the two worst metrics or the two worst teams when it comes to giving up goals after the 75th minute. So my prediction for Columbus, assuming they make the playoffs, I don't think they'll get out of that first round if they're matched up against the Montreal or against the Philly. So it'll be seeding will be key for them. Now that we've wrapped up those top seven, let's 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 take a couple comments here. We've got Angus McCorder jumping in. Angus, great to have you back. 
really appreciated all the conversation on our live stream this weekend. And he says, lately, NYCFC seems to have a culture of losing. Yeah, it's been interesting. They've rotated coaches a number of times over the last several seasons, and they always tend to bounce back, right? But it might just be a bridge too far, a coach too far right now, too late in the season for them to have that bounce back right now, unless they somehow put it all together before the playoffs and they're just playing rope-a-dope with everybody here, right? Red Bull Insider says, I think the way we play, Red Bulls, I imagine, I think we can make a run, but if we play Philly, I think we are out. And and that's it, right? Like if Philly are are gonna if Philly are gonna maintain their form, nobody's gonna beat them. I think that's just a given at this point. If they maintain their form, if Red Bull can can throw them out of their groove, if Red Bull can press them, if they get some good goals, if they get some bounces, we will see. Now let's continue down our recap. We're into the teams now competing to get into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. New England is in the eighth spot. They're coming off a two-one loss to Red Bull. Their next matches are at Houston versus Montreal versus Atlanta and at Chicago. New England does not look like a playoff team. They got a couple bright spots, you know, homegrown Noel Bucks getting in. Uh, Carl's Hill is still playing just out of his mind, but it doesn't have the offense to score the goals that he sets them up for. I don't think New England's going to make the playoffs, and I think New England is really going to have to use these last few games to start evaluating some of their young talent. Now, we know Bruce Arena. He's not a huge fan of young talent. He's not a huge fan of conceding. He's going to go all in on it, but do they get the results? Will ownership and management say, hey, let's let's see who we got, or will they try to push for it? I think Pride is going to win out from all aspects of it. I think they will make a push for it, but I just don't see them getting in. Number nine spot, Inter-Miami, coming off a 3-1 loss to Chicago. I watched this game, and you're going to hear more from the Chicago perspective at the halftime break on the podcast side of things here from our good friend and supporter, John Donovan. But as far as the Miami side of things goes, Pazuelo and Iguain were more concerned about drawing fouls and and getting penalties than actually linking passes and, and putting shots on goal. Neville looked dejected after that second Chicago goal. Uh, it just was not a good look for Miami, whose best play was drawing a penalty, right? Now, Miami, next few matches here, are against Columbus. And if they beat Columbus, then I think they can continue and have a decent shot to get into the playoffs. But if they lose to Columbus, there's too many teams ahead of them to jump. And their games are against D.C., Toronto, and Orlando to finish off the season. So just when they were getting into that groove and and Iguain's banging in free kicks and playing well and Pozuelo's linking up and the back line is holding, you're getting some good goalkeeping play. Now they're they're on three straight losses. Don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, even though I said if they make if they beat Columbus, it's still alive. But I don't think they're going to make the playoffs right now. They're five points off the Crew, and if the Crew can win that game, that'll end it. That's a six point swing essentially. Atlanta's in the 10 spot in the Eastern Conference right now. A huge 4-2 win against TFC in a very back-and-forth affair. Of note from this game, their center back, true defender Parada, gets the hat trick, which they needed because he had a couple of defensive blunders that led to those TFC goals. What's cool about Atlanta is with all the drama around Joseph Martinez, Gutman has stepped up a few games, Parada's stepping up now. Who's going to step up, if anyone, to end the season? They're against Philly at New England and against New York City. So even though Atlanta is five points off the line, I mean, if they somehow win three straight or maybe maybe win those last two and get a little help from Philly on a draw and some other teams, I don't know. It, I think it's too much. There's too much math involved here, too many variables. I don't think they're going to get in. I love underdogs. Crazy to think of Atlanta as an underdog given their history, but I just they're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to be playing spoiler. Speaking of the Joseph drama, right? He was suspended for a match after flipping over the catering table in their in their recent loss prior to the TFC game. Um, is it time to blame Joseph? Because if you look at it, right, he had a problem with Tata Martino, but they were winning, so nobody really cared. He had a problem with Frank DeBoer, but we all know Frank DeBoer screwed up Atlanta's system. He wasn't a good MLS coach. He had a problem with his Venezuelan manager and to an extent, the Federation. He doesn't want to play for Venezuela until they got a new manager. Um, He had a problem with Heinze, but apparently everyone had a problem with Heinze. So even though he's got this 
huge running problem with managers and coaches. There was always an excuse that it wasn't his fault. But now he's got a problem with Pineda, and people are finally starting to say, okay, five times, you know, fool me once, shame on you, on me, fool, what is it? Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Well, fool me five times, definitely shame on Atlanta United and, and the MLS community here, right? So we're really starting to look at Joseph, and if he's scoring goals and he's passionate and if everyone's rallying around his energy, it's one thing. But if he is flipping tables, getting into in-your-face verbal altercations with the manager and they're not winning and he can't get on the field, then it's it's a bit of a problem. There's some rumblings about maybe they sell him, but I don't know who would take him. Actually, there's probably a lot of teams that would take him. So he could very well move, right, an approved MLS striker. Anyway, that's the take on Atlanta. Number 11 in the East, Charlotte's coming off a 1-0 win versus NYC, regaining a little bit of that home form. And uh, they're going to need it because they go to Chicago next, but then return home to end the season against Philly and against Columbus. For me, Charlotte hit that expansion season wall. They had some internal problems with their coaching. They made the move and really never picked back up after that. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but as an expansion side, they really learned how to navigate MLS this season and really what it takes from a coaching, ownership, management, and player perspective. So they can build off of this for next season with a few good roster moves and some stability from the coaching. Number 12, Chicago with a 3-1 win versus Miami. That's a big six-pointer. Right, beating the team just ahead of you in the standings. Now, Miami is still ahead of them in the standings, but only by a point. And Chicago is six points off the playoff line right now. <sighs> Man, the good news for Chicago, all these teams that they play are ahead of them. But the bad news is all these teams that they're playing are ahead of them for a reason because they've been much better. Maybe they take one from New England here, right? Now, the question has always been on offense for Chicago. Seven of their 13 losses were by a goal. So if they would only get a little bit more offense, they wouldn't be in this precarious position. They started the season on like a six-game unbeaten run, uh, and, and Gagas Lanina's got a lot of clean sheets because of the good defense, but then they had a 10-game uh, winless streak before the international break. So again, they're not scoring goals. I'd love to see my hometown team make the playoffs. I don't see them winning all of their matches. It's a tough sell. To get him in, I'd love to see Gaga Slonina in the playoffs before he moves off to Chelsea. The one thing I will say, and we're going to hear a lot from uh, John Donovan as far as the Chicago game against Miami, John Duran needs to continue to start. I know Casper Shabilgo's profile, and I know that was the go-to guy in the first half of the season, but John Duran needs to continue to start and stretch those back lines. Toronto's sitting in 13, like we said, coming off a 4-2 loss to Atlanta. Their next three matches are at Orlando versus Miami, and at Philadelphia. They said they were confident after a draw versus the Galaxy a few weeks back that they're feeling good, they're going to make the push, but results suggest otherwise. I don't see them making up a seven-point gap in three matches, especially with the way the defense has played as of late and the goalkeeping. And if Bernadeschi and Insigne and Cushito and Akinola are not scoring goals, then there's really no offense for them to get there, right? Bob Bradley needs another season to get TFC in shape. And finally, DC is sitting in 14th place. They have been eliminated from the playoffs officially, even after a 0-0 draw against RSL. It was a sloppy game in terms of passing. Both teams only had 0.6 expected goals. But hey, grinding out results builds character. And that's what Rooney's going for right now. He wants character, guys. He wants to get these young players coming up into a good culture. They finished the season at Kansas City, against Miami, at Montreal, and against Cincinnati. So, tough run of form at the end there. All right, next up for D.C., though, they looked fun at moments, right? And Taxi Fountas looked like a very, very good signing. A DP striker, when he's getting service, he's excellent. And I think Rooney is going to be able to really work with him this offseason. Not just with him, but around him as well. They can definitely spoil the party for other teams in their last few matches. But Rooney here, what's cool is there's been a lot of talk about the youth movement. He started 15-year-old homegrown defender Matai Akinboni against RSL, the third youngest player in league history to see the field behind Freddie Adu and Alfonso Davies. So not bad company there. They signed 21-year-old goalkeeper David Ochoa from RSL. They're bringing him up other academy kids and, you know, adding a veteran striker in Christian Benteke definitely helps. 
So DC, though, the question for them, here's their season now. Are they going to take home the wooden spoon for the worst record in MLS? San Jose and Houston only have three more points against them. So we will see the wooden spoon battle shake out very shortly. Now let's take a few comments before we jump into our halftime break. So brother BKL, big NYC fan, if you guys haven't noticed, says Joseph Martinez is probably traded to different teams in MLS. That's what he thinks. I think it's it's possible. But what kind of money are they going to get in return for him? What's the value of, of a proven striker with an attitude problem? That's going to throw it in. I think really if he wanted to go back and play in South America, heck, if he wanted to go back and play in the Venezuelan League, I don't know what the money's like there or the conditions there. I bet they could take him. And I bet there's some teams in Argentina or Brazil who would definitely take him. Uh, so they could make some money. There's definitely room for Joseph Martinez in the world of international soccer. And I love the thought here from Hani Mukhtar Edits. Great to have you back on the show. Dropping some comments here who says Nashville need a good striker. Hopefully Martinez moves to Nashville. That has been talked about on, you know, on extra time, the MLS's league show that has been talked about on social media, that that would be a good landing spot for him. It's all speculation at this point. But yeah, that would be a really good landing spot for him. We saw Joseph was at his best when teams are when Atlanta plays direct up the middle, feeding him as he as soon as the ball's turned over, even before the ball's turned over, he was a smart enough striker to already begin his run. And Almarone would just feed him, feed him, feed him. And those two took Atlanta to a cup and some records, right? He hasn't been getting that service over the last few coaches. We've seen them do a lot more. Uh, we've seen Atlanta focus a lot more on wing play and crosses in. And Joseph is pretty good in the air. Knee injuries definitely derailed a lot of his aerial game. So hopefully he can build his strength back up if Atlanta continues to play on the wings. But, you know, with Diego Almada, they may want to play more direct. And if they can work on that, or if Joseph goes to Nashville, where Hani Mukhtar is just feeding him up the middle, uh, or Walker Zimmerman's hitting some passes from the back over the top, could be a very good landing spot. Hani Mukhtar edits our friend. Uh, I love where your head's at. So with that, my friends, here we have the table. We have Philly, Montreal, Red Bull, and New York City in the top four. Orlando, Cincinnati, Columbus, five through seven. New England, Miami, Atlanta, and also technically Charlotte since Chicago and Toronto fighting for playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. Now we are going to take a quick time out here so you guys can get your refills you guys can go to the restroom if you need to you guys can make a super chat donation super thanks shoot us a message or email sons of a pitch soccer at gmail.com or on twitter at sop soccer uh let us know what you're thinking and if you here's a great time during the halftime break click that little ad that's down in the con like right above the comments i think click that ad let it run Send a few pennies our way from the Google algorithm. Uh, also, if you're on the podcast side, now as you're going to hear John Donovan, our good friend, longtime supporter of the show, which we couldn't do anything without the support from John and his company. So thank you to John. He's going to give you his Chicago Fire update. So if you're on the podcast side, make sure you head over to YouTube, like and subscribe. And if you're on the YouTube side, make sure you head over and find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you can hear our Chicago Fire updates. And we will be back in just a minute. This MLS Weekly Recap is sponsored by Skira, Icelandic spring water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, yes, pun intended, it's one of the best. Get some Skira today at your local 7-Eleven. And now it's time for our weekly Chicago Fire update brought to you by John Donovan. Take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Before I get started, Nick, I just got to say something about 9-11. Um, it was a day that I will never forget. It uh, was crazy, crazy fanatical people attacking the United States. Uh, in New York City, killing 3,200 people. A lot of those people were from my home city, which is Garden City, Long Island. Um, the churches there had funerals going on for two weeks nonstop. It, very sad event for me. 
I mean, it's it's the world that can't talk through problems. They've got to hijack planes and run them into buildings full of people. Just horrible. Um, the fire won, and they won. They dominated this game against Miami. It was a good game to watch. The uh, um, even the announcers said, uh, you know, they, they finally got a game where they're getting everything together. They probably started the proper starting line. Um, they had uh, Mueller, Duran, who had two of the goals, and Gutierrez, who played well. He still doesn't have a goal this season. And Shakira played. So two of the goals were breakaways by Duran. Uh, the guy, if, if you're not on him close, and if you can't stop him initially with the ball, He's gone. That other defenseman's got to be looking over his shoulder because one-on-one, -on -one, you just can't handle this cat. And the final goal was scored by Chikire, who who did have a good game. I've got to say, you know, he's been on and off the bench all season, but, you know, now we're getting close to the World Cup, and you know he wants to be out there for Switzerland, so um, we will just have to see how it goes. Now, the two players to me that really stood out, uh, Nick, was, um, you know, they didn't get hit, hit in the score sheets, but Pineda, I, I literally think Pineda is one of, the, is one of our best halfbacks. Um, I would have started him every game when he's healthy at halfback. He's, he's good, he's honest, he's goes to the, he goes the full 90, he's there for you. He doesn't get cards, doesn't make stupid moves. Um, it's going to be interesting next year if they bring back Jimenez. I think he's still on um another year he had that tear which pulled him off but uh between him and uh, Navarro I you know Jimenez has his good and bad games so but Pineda would be a solid starter for me um the other guy that I thought just really he's turned in he's he's matured so much this season is Carlos Terran you know if Olmberg had Olmsberg had not been hurt we not, might not have seen Terran he has seemed to control his emotions his skill, I mean, his speed is just awesome. Uh, there's nobody in this league that's faster than him, I don't believe. And he's huge. He's six foot four. Um, he dominates everybody. Um, he he can cover for the other fullback. Chizos can make some moves that he probably wouldn't normally move because of the speed of Teran. Very, very enthused over him. I If I was a European team... And now that he's starting to control himself, I'd be watching him big time. He's got the speed to play in that premiership. Um, you know, it it uh, the season right now, I mean, where the fire are, uh, way down, they're still, uh, I think, 10th or 11th in the league. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. Very sad. I think they had the skill, but they had a rookie coach who was not ready to coach, uh, be a head coach in the uh, MLS. I think that might have been a mistake. Both of the coaches that they were looking at were rookies. Um, you, you, you know, you can't lose control of the temperament of the players on the field um, all at the same time. I and mean, early on in the season, uh, Ezra was going nuts. I'll just remember a play where Gutierrez uh, got a red card, and and Ezra just went ballistic. You can't have that in this league. The coach has to be settled. The team has to be settled. I, I honestly believe the fire, if they had gotten themselves out of all those cards by two main guys, both Navarros, I believe they would have made the playoffs this year. So, you know, it's it's kind of sad. It's exciting to see teams like Cincinnati. Um, they seem to be there in the playoffs, uh, barring any catastrophe, make it uh, New England. I was surprised, but they're so dependent on one player. Um, that that uh, they couldn't pull it off, but it's it's coming around when you you know when you see it just makes me feel great to see Jim Curtin, a U.S. coach, refining his skills. They're not going out all over the world trying to find um, great DPs from different countries that don't know the MLS. Nope, they're developing them right in their own academy and bringing them up. I hope that the Chicago Fire is doing that. You know, Reynolds got in. Uh, the final part of the game today uh, in a position he doesn't play, which is typical of Ezra. But, uh, you know, it, it was a win. A win is a win. Um, the field did not look good. The turf at, at Seatgate or Toyota Park was bad. Um, it I don't know what's happened with that. They still are playing games down there. So the, uh, 
the switch, you know, because of the bear game was, was, uh, was, ha they had to play there. So for, uh, the fire play Tuesday night against Montreal, who has played well this season, you can't believe that Montreal is going to really, uh, stretch out a lot of their starters in this game. They're, they're in the playoffs. They, they do want to get some home games, which they will get. But uh, it's been a great season. Um, unfortunately, the, the fire probably will not make the playoffs. But I will uh, hopefully see you guys next week. We're going to be probably attending the, the uh, Charlotte game. So have a good day. Uh, thanks a lot for this opportunity. Thanks for that Chicago Fire update, John. We'll talk to you next week. All right, soccer fans, we are back for the second half of Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central's MLS Weekly Recap as it stands tonight, September 12th, Monday night. Thank you all for joining us live on YouTube, as well as listening to us wherever you get your podcasts. And just as a reminder, if you want to support the show, please, if you're on YouTube, click an ad, let the ad run, send a super chat, send a super thanks. Or if you want to take a bigger role and get more involved with Sons of a Pitch Soccer and our community, feel free to reach out for a sponsorship or our web web page, which we're developing for our social media, for our YouTube, and we'll work you in and we'll work with you. Uh, you can get a hold of us, sons of a pitch soccer at gmail.com or on Twitter at SOP Soccer. And a big, big thanks to John Donovan, Donovan Food Brokerage, and Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. And John, always great to hear from you after a Chicago Fire win. Things just seem to go a little bit better, and there's just a little bit more upbeat in all of our voices and attitude, right? So anyway, let's break down the Western Conference as it stands today, September 12th on Monday. We have LAFC atop the standings, clinch their playoff spot, even though they're coming off a 2-1 loss to FC Dallas. Now, Hollingshed for LAFC gets a red card in the 13th minute. Now, I don't know if it was just extremely dangerous play or if it was a dog. So I didn't, how do you guys feel about this one? It, does he get the ball first as, as I think it was Ariola is trying to hit a volley, but really it was a leaping tackle from behind. Depending on where you stand, it was either a good call red card or a very weak red card. Um, and that's how VAR and the referee interpreted the rule. It was a red card. Uh, he leaves his feet like, I'm going to age myself here, right? Liu Kang, original Mortal Kombat, those flying kicks that he did. That is what Hollingshed looked like on his tackle in this time. And I think that's what confirmed the red. He just came flying in from the back. So LAFC's next few matchups are at Minnesota against Houston, at Portland, and against Nashville. So not a very favorable schedule. All teams looking to get some points and uh, to really kind of show the LAFC that if they meet them in the playoffs, then they're still going to give them a tough game in order to beat them. So that is a tough end of schedule for LAFC. Now, they played pretty well in this game to Dallas, but, you know, when you're down uh, to 10 men for the bulk of that game, it's going to be hard to win it, right? They've lost four of their last five. They don't have any offense. I think the excuse that we've been giving them that they're working in their new signings has to kind of be over at this point. You've got four games left in the season. You don't want to say, okay, we're going to be ready right now, and it's the first game of the playoffs for them. Plus, they're probably going to get the bye. Unless something crazy happens and Austin jumps up, LAFC is going to get the bye. So they need to, these last four games, play their starting 11 or who they want to have their starting 11 be come the playoff time and let them gel and get this time together. They can't just say, we're going to, we'll, we'll be fine come the playoffs because that's what LAFC has done in the past. And we've seen their lack of playoff success in the past. So let's look for them to finish strong. I anticipate them to finish strong. They're obviously the most talented team in the league still on paper. Now they got to match the performances. Number two in the Western conference, Austin FC is coming off a big three, nothing loss at Seattle. Now it is, it really is awful nice of Austin to help Seattle's playoff chances by you know, letting them beat them three to nothing. Uh, but really, I'm going to ask the same questions of Austin as I did of LAFC. Are are they, did they peak too soon? Are they going to be ready come the playoffs? Are they going to be in good form? Like Austin had one shot on goal against Seattle, 46% possession, one corner, two offsides. To me, those stats say no offense, no pressure in the offensive third, right? They've also lost four or five. I 
I am worried about LAFC and Austin's current run of form because now it's not just a matter of we need to get healthy, we need to work our guys in, and then we'll be good to go for playoff time. It is, oh man, we get we got to win a few games and get some momentum and get back to playing our brand of soccer before playoff time, right? Now Austin has a few games. They got a favorable schedule to get ready for the playoffs. They are hosting RSL, Nashville, and Colorado, and then they're away at Vancouver in their second to last game, right? So pretty good schedule for Van- to have Vancouver and Colorado to end with, and hopefully that kind of gets them some momentum. Really excited to see Driussi in the playoffs. Really excited to see Josh Wolf coaching in the playoffs. That'll be a lot of fun. FC Dallas is still sitting in that third spot out west with a 2-1 victory over LAFC, as we mentioned. Their next three games are at San Jose, at Colorado, and against Kansas City. Really good way to finish the season against three teams who are struggling. Probably going to hold on to that three spot. I bet Dallas is actually going to win a game. But let's talk about Jesus Ferreira, right? The guy for Dallas right now. The conversation around him, not just at the club level, MLS level, but also at the USMNT level is he's a volume striker. He's going to miss more shots than he makes. He needs a lot of service, right? And in this particular game, he missed his first four shots, then scores the next two, right? According to the expected goal model, his first four shots, those misses, had a 14% chance, 7% chance, 3% chance, and 12% chance of finding the back of the net. While his two goals that he did score after those four misses had a 9% and 4% chance of finding the back of the net. So he he needs volume. He needs to be given service. Is Does that bode well for him at Dallas? Well, clearly it does. They are the number three team. They have a lot of goals. He's, I think, third or so in the golden boot race. We'll have to look at that. 45 goals for uh, right now. Hmm, I take that back. Maybe not a lot of goals for. They are in the Western Conference. One, two, three, four, fifth, sixth highest scoring team in the Western Conference. But when he's hot, Dallas usually wins. So how do we feel about Jesus Ferrer being the USMNT striker needing that kind of service? I got mixed feelings because you want your strikers, sometimes they're only going to get one or two opportunities a game. They need to convert those or your team loses. But on the other hand, if the U.S. can play a little bit like Dallas does where he is the focal point and he is going to get five or six opportunities in a game at the World Cup level, it it might pay off. It might pay off. That way you can have the rest of your players out there looking to pass first rather than shoot first, right? You're not expecting Pulisic or McKenney to wind up uh, from 20 yards out or Pulisic to make a run into the box. You're not expecting Gio Reyna to dribble through two and three defenders. If they do it, that's wonderful. But they can look to pass first. And then if Ferreira's not there because teams are closing down and preventing that service, We've got the talent to uh, to do other things with other players. So I'm, I've got mixed emotions about Ferreira and the conversation around him being a volume striker, but we'll see what happens, right? All we can do is watch and see and be entertained. Last bit of trivia about Jesus Ferreira. He is now uh, third all-time for FC Dallas in total goals scored uh, and is tied for their single season record with 18. So setting some club records. Number four team in the West, Nashville SC, with a 1-1 draw against Galaxy. There were three penalties in this match. Now, I thought there was going to be a goal fest here. The way Nashville had been playing recently, the way the Galaxy's defense have looked, and maybe their offense was also picking up with Ricky Push. But Nashville finally cooled off. The, the game kind of got slogged down. There were three yellow cards, or I'm sorry, three PKs, nine total yellow cards, with Zimmerman getting a second in stoppage time, soft red, Handball in the box by rule. They're going to give him a yellow card for that. Uh, Mukhtar gets the goal scoring started with a PK in the 26th. Chicharito misses the PK in the 53rd. Why is he still taking penalty kicks? He's missed two in a row, one of them a bad Panenka. Why is, is the Galaxy letting him do this, right? I don't understand it. You have one of the best young players in the league, if not in the world, in Ricky Push. Why is Chicharito, who's missed two, taking a penalty kick? Oh, right, because we want to get him back into form and have him, you know, see the ball go in the back of the net, all the psychological things that forwards get the benefit of the doubt for. Dude, you're in a playoff hunt. You can't drop points. You need that goal. That was to draw level, right? 
uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah, that was that was two draw level and they could have gone on to win it. But then, thank God, another penalty. Ricky Push converts it in stoppage time in the 96th minute. And this was a tough one to go against Walker Zimmerman in Nashville, but it's probably the right call. So in, the, in this play, you see Zimmerman in the box. He's actually trying to bring his arms in, but as he's doing it, the ball gets played between his arm and his side, definitely hits the arm, definitely redirects the ball. The only thing I'll say where if the referee let it go, I could understand it, even if I don't agree with it, is that there was very little time. So it's the whole ball-to-hand argument, not hand-to-ball, because um, he was maybe a half yard from the player when the ball was struck. So that would be the only thing to to really work in Zimmerman's favor. But according to the rule and the spirit of the law, probably the right call. Now, Nashville, though, tough out at the end of the season. They're at Austin against Houston and at LAFC. They need that first-round home game, I think. And if they do, they could contend for the West. So let's see how they finalize this season and bounce back from this disappointing draw to, to the Galaxy. I think they get it done. It seems like a little fluky one here. Next up, Portland Timbers in the fifth spot. Portland making some recent noise. They've rattled off, I think, three or four straight wins here. This was a big one nothing win against Minnesota United. Thanks to everyone who joined our live feed. We had a lot of fun on our live stream talking players and tactics from both teams playoffs as well as we got into a pretty good conversation about some good bourbons and whiskeys to try as well so thanks to uh our our friends angus mccorder and dan Geringer for jumping in the bourbon and whiskey conversation always good for late night mls watching now this one the difference was an espria header from a corner and that guy gets up and he is big too so he is a dangerous as we know from seasons past, dangerous in the playoffs, but over the last season and a half or so, he's become like a primary scorer for Portland, and they need it with uh, Nishgoda not performing as they had hoped. So Portland's next three games are at Colorado against LAFC and at RSL. They're going to need to win Colorado at Colorado and at RSL if they're going to have it if they're going to secure that playoff spot. Because just look at how tight these teams are from the fifth place spot to the ninth place spot six points and you can never count out Seattle. We'll get to them next. Now Portland might make the playoffs. I don't see them making a trophy run though because their offense has waned a little bit and really they've been relying on Ivicic, their goalkeeper, to keep them in games at times. Also, I think they're still kind of just at times in games going, Sebastian Blanco, do something. Make, make magic, Blanco. Help us. So I think they rely on him a little bit too much at times as well, and it kind of kills some of their momentum. Um, but, hey, if, if they can pull off that bunker encounter like they do, like they love to do, then it could be a different story for Portland. Minnesota's in the sixth spot. Again, that 1-0 loss to Portland they're coming off of. Last four games for the Loons are against LAFC, at Kansas City, and at San Jose, then at home against Vancouver. So pretty favorable ending those last three games. They have the potential – to make a run in the playoffs, assuming they get Reynoso and Debassi back. And I don't know if Debassi had a season-ending injury or not, but hopefully they get those guys back for the playoffs. And also it would be great if Hayes and Dotson get healthy and, and maybe help out with some of the depth. But I don't know the severity of their injuries, um, but I wouldn't expect to see all four back for the playoffs. Other than LAFC, it's a very favorable final stretch, so we'll see what kind of form Minnesota goes into. But as they sit... They are in the sixth spot, but again, it is so tight between actually the fourth place Nashville squad all the way down to the ninth place Seattle squad that nobody can rest on the laurels, Minnesota especially. We all saw Lake is in that final playoff spot as we sit here Monday night the 12th, coming off a 0-0 draw against D.C. They wrap up the season at Austin against Cincy, at the Galaxy, and against Portland. Again, a buzzsaw of a final schedule, the only thing that helps them out is they've got a non-conference game there against Cincinnati. So if they can rotate and play for a draw, that might help them finish the season strong. But it's a very tenuous grasp on that last playoff spot. A bit of news, though, for RSL. They got a new field sponsor, stadium sponsor. They have new naming rights. So instead of the Rio Tinto Stadium or the Riot, it will now be uh, sponsored by America First Bank. So it will be America First Field even though the hype video they put out or the announcement video says the riot will go on. So it'll, hopefully they can keep that in some form or other, because that's just so much fun. Plus I think it's in their chant. You got to keep that going. LA galaxy are in the eighth spot 
coming off that 1-1 draw against Nashville. We recap the game, but again, it's worth repeating. Why is Chicharito taking penalty kicks? That's three in a row that he's missed. Let Ricky Pusch do everything. LA Galaxy finished the season at Vancouver, against Colorado, at San Jose, against Real Salt Lake, and at Houston. So they've got a lot of games where they can make up a lot of points against some bad teams. Vancouver, Colorado, San Jose, Houston, eh, RSL, I won't call them bad. They're technically in the playoffs right now. So really, the Galaxy are probably going to jump up and get into that playoffs with all those games left and with the quality of opponent they're facing. But really, it's going to depend on Ricky Pouche. And if if he plays well and they have a favorable end, they're in. But we do know everyone likes to play well against the Galaxy. They still are that big name MLS club, even if not in performance. And a lot of teams are gunning for him. Now, we next have Seattle Sounders in the ninth spot, coming off a 3-0 victory against Austin FC. A Rui Diaz brace gets them right back into that playoff conversation. Also, a little trivia for Rui Diaz. That is his 11th multi-goal game as a Sounder, passing Clint Dempsey for the most in club history. Now, this is the Sounders that we're accustomed to, but can they sustain it? They're at Vancouver. They're against Cincy. They're at Kansas City, and they're against San Jose. Is this the year the streak ends? We can't bet against them. But I will say, manager Brian Schmetzer has them in the right mindset. We listened to some of his postgame that was put out, and he says this win was a step forward. And even in losses, they've played some good soccer. So he's got them in the right mindset. They're not out of it. They just need to get those wins, right? Keep playing well and get those wins. Even Captain Ladero says, today you see the real Sounders. We have to repeat, 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 and win a spot in the playoffs. I like how he says that. They have to win a spot in the playoffs. We we, we can't just play well and hope to get in. You know, they need to win it. So they're in the right mindset. Don't count them out. Also, Sounder Kellen Rowe, 300 professional appearances for him. Congratulations to Kellen Rowe. Great pickup by the Sounders. Great move by the Sounders to keep him. Uh, Colorado Rapids are in the 10th spot. They have a 3-1 victory off Vancouver. Technically still in the playoff hunt. Nice to see Zardes get back on the score sheet. And uh, good on them. Good on the Rapids to come back after conceding early in the ninth minute to Brian, Re- Brian White. But to end the season, Colorado's against the Quakes, at the Galaxy, against Dallas, and at Austin. Ugh. Not the way you want to end against two teams in the top three and a team ahead of you who's pushing for the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make it. I think this season confirms last season was a fluke. Robin Frazier needs to convince ownership to start spending on some talent, or he's going to have to just start coaching out of his mind if Colorado's going to want to sustain success with their current roster. Vancouver sitting in 11th, as we mentioned, that lost to Colorado 3-1. to They end the season against the Galaxy, Seattle, Austin, and then away at Minnesota. So just like the Rapids, four teams all in ahead of them, two of them top of the table in the West. Tough, tough end of the season for Vancouver. They will not make the playoffs. I mean, they should be prepping for it. If the season went according to plan, they've got three, four of their last four at home, but it's just too much. They had 10 road losses this season, and Cavallini gets the extended suspension for stomping on Alex Mule's head back in that Nashville game. So that turns into the red card suspension plus three, four games out. Um, I don't know if Vancouver's going to fold it in. I don't think Vanny Sartini, their manager, is going to let them, uh, but it could turn into an evaluation period fairly quickly for Vancouver. Now let's take a look towards the bottom of the Western Conference table. And I appreciate y'all sticking with me as we are almost coming up to that hour mark. But when we're talking MLS playoffs, there's a lot to cover. Kansas City has a 0-0 draw versus Houston. And as uh, one of our guests, Eric Saris, on uh, a prior live stream said, a very boring 0-0 draw. Kansas City will end the season against D.C., Minnesota, Seattle, and at Dallas. The big news for Kansas City is, one, they're not contending for the wooden spoon. But two, Daniel Shallowy signs a long-term deal. Uh, He has four more years. Four more years. I think Kansas City fans are actually chanting that. He signed a deal through 2026. Uh, He would have been a free agent. He's he's a homegrown, which is crazy. He's a Hungarian international, homegrown, premiered in 2016 for Kansas City. He's only 26 years old, so he's definitely got four more good years with him. Houston Dynamo have officially been eliminated 
from the playoffs. They are in the 13th spot in the West right now. Again, coming off a 0-0 draw to Kansas City. They finished the season against New England, LAFC, Nashville, and the Galaxy. Big news recently, uh, they fired first-year coach Paulo Nagamura. We talked about that a bit the last show. So now it's not just the coaches got a lot of work to do, but the executives have a lot of work to do because if the team's underperforming, you move players around, maybe you shuffle a couple of assistants or staffers. If that happens over two seasons or if it's a terrible season, you get rid of the coach. If you have to make a couple coaching and staffing moves, then the executives are on the hot seat, and that's where Houston is right now. So as good as executives as Houston has, it's a result-driven business, right? So hopefully they can get it right and they can build a new roster. I expect a near total roster rebuild, and so – they're in evaluation mode from here on out. To round out the Western Conference, San Jose is down at the bottom here with 30 points on the season, 1.03 points per game. They're coming off that embarrassing 6-0 loss to Cincinnati, and they will finish the season at Colorado against Dallas, against the Galaxy, against Minnesota, and at Seattle. They are, the Quakes, are only one of three teams with only one away win, the other two being Atlanta and Colorado. So not good form on the road. Not going to help you, especially with coaching change, with personnel problems, with identity and tactical problems. But anyway, let's look on the bright side. San Jose recently signed Peruvian defender and left back Miguel Trauco. I think he's 31 years old, a proven product. He's played all over the world, South America, Europe, now coming to MLS. He's definitely part of the defensive rebuild. San Jose had an okay offense, especially with Ebo Bise really blossoming as a true striker. Cade Cowell giving, providing some support on the wing. Uh, they have a, a decent front line, but they needed help in the back especially coming off a 6 nothing loss, right? So Luchi Gonzalez is actually going to take over after the World Cup. He has agreed to be the head coach for San Jose. Uh, he's an assistant with the men's national team, so he's got to wait till after the World Cup to take over the squad. But they are already starting that defensive rebuild. Look for that. And look, as a lot of MLS teams do when they rebuild or they're an expansion franchise, solid backline, identity of how they want to play. Luchi Gonzalez has experience in the league. Uh, but he also has a lot of experience with academies and youth, uh, both in the club level and in the international level. So I expect him to be around for a couple, three years, helping to develop that academy and talent pipeline, as well as kind of solidify and stabilize the first team. Now, that has been a lot of talking. So I want to thank Mounty for jumping in here with a comment that says Montreal wins for Chicago 2 nothing." remember this and Mounty, I'm going to be hard pressed to disagree with you based on recent results for both of those teams. But there's, there's that little bit of hometown Chicago in me here that thinks that Chicago is going to ride some of this momentum after a big three, one win. Uh, Plus, Hey, Shakiri wants to get back into form for the world cup. And the best way to do it is to keep playing. So if that guy actually picks his game up and picks his head up and finds Duran, it could be a closer game than 2 nothing, but I'm not going to discount you. I think that's a solid pick, Mounty. Appreciate you jumping in on the chat here. And then we got Brother BKL who says, that battle for the wooden spoon between San Jose and D.C., he guesses D.C. wins the wooden spoon. How about some wooden spoon picks here, everybody? Um, on, honestly, I, I think it's going to be San Jose. I don't. I, I think they, they are not going to be able to pick up any points with their remaining schedule, right? Meanwhile, D.C., or the Fighting Wayne Roonies, as people are starting to call them, uh, they're, they're going to be playing for him. They're going to be playing for jobs. They're going to be playing for scouts, especially some of these young guys. So I think D.C.'s got a better chance uh, and probably a more favorable end of schedule. Let's quick back look at D.C. Kansas City, Miami, Montreal, Cincinnati. So eh, maybe if Miami folds it in, Kansas City is not up for it, and Cincinnati tries to rotate a squad before the playoffs, maybe they can sneak a few points out of them and take it. Anyway, my talk is done as far as playoff predictions and roundup. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Red Bull Insider Brother BKL, Mounty Hani, Mukhtar Edits, Angus McHorter, and Connor Knows Soccer, and everyone else who's out there listening to us on YouTube, on the podcast. Again, if you want to support the show, remember, 
click an ad, let the ad run when it when it pops up, puts a few pennies in our pocket just for doing that. So thank you. Like, subscribe, share the link, send a super chat or a super thanks. And if you want to talk sponsorships, if you want to throw a few bucks our way, you can either join uh, as a paid subscriber for a monthly fee, or we can talk about something bigger that you, your brand, your company want to advertise with. Email us, sonsofapitchsoccer at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at SOPsoccer. So with that, I have been your host for the night, Nick, here at Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central. I want to thank everyone again. Enjoy the midweek matches. We got games already coming up Tuesday and Wednesday, the 13th and 14th. Make sure you stay tuned for all of our recaps next week, as well as all the picks and predictions videos we put out and some of the other soccer content we got. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. Hey, soccer fans, Nick for Sons of a Pitch Soccer Central, giving you my post-credit scenes, a little bit of an insight into some of the things that I love about the beautiful game. And this weekend, I had the joy of watching my six-year-old get out and play some rec league soccer here with the Park District, kind of took me back to my youth days. So I wanted to pull out some of my soccer jerseys, share a memory with you all. Uh, I grew up in Rockford playing for Rock Run Express, um, and this was one of our jerseys. I think this might have been like my U12 jersey, I want to say. Um, definitely keeping these for posterity. Hopefully my kids get to wear them one day. Um, what was cool about that was our league always, uh, or our team always copied the German national team. So we had some of the coolest kits out there, Adidas kits. As you can see, this I think was like my U10. Germany wore this one in the World Cup, this kind of style. Obviously in their colors, not our blue and white, but wanted to share with you a little bit of my my jerseys, um, some of my memories from growing up playing in Rockford with Rock Run Express, playing in the Rainbow Tournament, playing in the Watermelon Tournament, traveling all over the Midwest uh, for tournaments and games, Wisconsin, Iowa, Missouri. It was, it was Indiana. It was a great time. And I hope hopefully you all can enjoy uh, some youth soccer and get your kids involved, keep the conversation going, keep the sport growing. And with that, I'll say good night. Thanks again.